Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 186 of the Mo Money Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Morehouse, and I'm excited to see you back for a fresh new episode of the show. Uh, on this episode, I am interviewing Nathan Lotka. He's the principal of Lotka Capital. He's the executive producer and host of the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, uh, also CEO to two companies that he's recently purchased. Not only that, he is the star of the hit online reality show, Lotka's Money, uh, which has more than 1 million viewers uh, that tune in for every episode. And uh, he's on CNBC's Million Dollar Road Trip. He's also the founder of the software company Heyo, and he's on the show to share with me his, uh, you know, knowledge and expertise when it comes to uh, basically how to be a capitalist without any capital. It's his book that's coming out, and so we talk all things. Uh, how to get rich, not how to get rich quick, because that's a bunch of load of crap. You know that I know that we all know that, but. Basically, um, he kind of shares a bit of his story. He's a young guy. He's been uh, able to make a good amount of capital and, you know, kind of uh, live that dream, lots of his dream of making a lot of money. Uh, but he's going to talk about how exactly he, he did it and just some of his um, advice and tips on things that he's kind of, re- you know, found that worked for him. Not necessarily that it'll work for you, but it may. Basically, I wanted him on the show because he's a young entrepreneur and has a very different perspective. Uh, he's a millennial. He, uh, you know, experienced the recession and uh, he just, he knows, you know, the internet and social media. And he kind of n- knows our language when it comes to like kind of the the new digital entrepreneur. And so I thought it'd be interesting to have him on the show and, and, and talk about money. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to do in this episode. And before I get that to that interview with Nathan, I just have a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by Sonnet Insurance. How much are you paying for home, auto, or tenant insurance? Better yet, do you know what's in your insurance policy? If you don't know, you're not alone. In Sonnet's recent survey, they discovered that one in three Canadians haven't read their home and auto insurance policies either which is why Sonnet stands out from other insurance companies. They've rewritten all their policy documents so you can actually understand how you're being protected without the needless jargon. And if you have questions, they're on standby via live chat, email, or give their award-winning customer service team a call to speak to a real human. Sonnet's aim isn't just to protect its clients, but to make the whole insurance process easy. Don't believe me? Visit sonnet.ca to get a quote online in just five minutes. It's really that easy. And one of the reasons I switched over to Sonnet myself. Try it out yourself by visiting sonnet.ca. Once again, that's sonnet.ca. Thank you, Nathan, for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Jessica, thanks for having me. I have to tell you, you you did a, a nice video of a coat review on YouTube, and I played, <laughs> it, it was looking great. They just needed the, det- the detachable fur, and it would have been a home run, right? <laughs> I love that you watched that video. It was such a ridiculous <laughs> video I did, so thank you. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, you have an incredible story, and you have a new book coming out, and I love the cover. You look very like I showed it to my husband. I'm like, is this guy for real, or is he is he a humorous guy? You, you seem like you have a sense of humor. <laughs> That's what it's about. I'll tell you. I mean, when you're in business, so so many people are used to kind of cutthroat and mean and nasty. You know, understanding charm and kind of having a charm offensive can be a real strategy. Mm. So we tried to capture that in the book cover. But I will tell you, you, you your 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 thoughts uh, echo what others have said, which are basically like, 
it, this guy looks too fun to be in business, basically. Yeah, that's a good thing because I don't think anyone would want to put, you know, especially younger people. We're kind of over picking up a book with some, you know, basically old suit on a book. Like, you know, you know offense, you have a nice new suit and you're like nice and funny. So, Jessica, yeah. you have no idea. This was, I've never, so this was actually the outfit I wore to the Oscars the year prior. And this was a Tom Ford kind of custom thing. Ooh. And I, I used it. I used to, you'll see in the book, you know, I talk about how I only wear a black t-shirt and black jeans every day for systems purposes. This was the yeah. first time where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to stylist handle all of this. That way I can save my energy, save my thought process. And when yeah. I got the bill at the end, I'm going, oh my, this is, rid- I'm in the wrong business. I need hey. to be a stylist. <laughs> really? Oh God. <laughs> So not necessarily the best investment. Don't like kind of regret it or. Well, look, I will tell you the, for example, the book, you know, we've pre-sold almost 55,000 copies and we mm-hmm. use it at the Oscars and there were photos taken. So I think my return on mm-hmm. investment on the suit will end up being a positive one, but oh, it good. was a, it was an interesting investment. An inter- and sometimes you have to try things and I'm sure you get uh, into this in the book and where to kind of spend your money wisely. I think um, especially if you're at the start and a lot of people listening, even, you know, me not too long ago, when you're kind of in that transitional period where you're thinking of starting a side hustle or you started that side hustle, you'd love to be able to convert that into a full-time hustle. And you understand that you you want to invest in yourself and your company, but it's hard to determine like how to spend your money. You don't want to waste money, basically. That's always the concern because there's plenty of people that will take your money. <laughs> That's right. That's 100% right. I mean, look, the way I look at, at investments and especially you know, if, you know, if you're working a full-time job and you have a side hustle and you're going, okay, I have a thousand bucks free this month. Yeah. Do I put it towards clothes for work or do I invest it in my side hustle? I kind of think about it as if you can put money into something that is a system that you're building. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about like a golden goose. If you're putting money into a golden goose, it's going to keep making you golden eggs over and over. That's mm-hmm. a great investment. What a lot of people do though, is they actually just, they buy the golden egg. They buy the output, right? The right. Michael Kors bag, the, right. the vacation, the whatever, they, they buy the output. But if you're investing that money in a system that's, that's going to keep cranking out golden eggs, mm-hmm. that's an investment that will return in perpetuity. And that's a smart investment. Yeah, definitely. So uh, before we kind of get into this, because I know we have plenty to talk about, I'd love to kind of start with your story because it's uh, very interesting. So that, you know, you kind of uh, talk about it in the book. So at 19, you founded your own software company with only $110 in your bank account. Can you kind of explain how that all happened? What was this company? How were you able to do with hardly any uh, any money in your bank account? Well, I have to tell you, it felt so cliche writing that because you hear about all these <laughs> gurus online that are like, I was like... From zero dollars to a million. Yeah, like exactly. Homeless on the bed with a broken leg and no yeah. money on my sister's yeah. couch. And so it felt cheesy writing that. But, you know, I, I, and I'll admit kind of my bias, you know, I was a, a white man born in Northern Virginia to parents that were middle class. So I was a pretty lucky dude, right? Thank I mean, you for I, acknowledging that. I appreciate totally. you acknowledging that. <laughs> this is not a story where, you know, I, again, I, where I was, it was some, tr- you know, crazy story. But ultimately what happened was I was studying architecture at Virginia Tech. Mm. And um, the way they do it there is they mix freshmen with seniors. And I overheard seniors, this was, oh, 2009. Mm. I overheard seniors going, they couldn't get jobs. Mm-hmm. And tech, Virginia Tech was ranked number one in architecture in the country at the problem above Harvard, Cornell, everyone. So I'm like, I'm not going to put myself through four year, five years of this yeah. program and not have a job at the end. So I started selling Facebook fan pages on the side when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And mm-hmm. just what I did is I didn't know how to code these pages. So mm-hmm. I used an interesting tactic to essentially pre-sell a hundred, uh, sorry, 70 of them at a hundred, uh, sorry, at a thousand dollars a piece. So mm-hmm. I had about $70,000 in pre-sales in my PayPal account. And that was mm-hmm. enough motivation to, uh, for me to basically say, okay, 
let me teach myself how to code something called FBML, which is Facebook markup language. Mm. Okay. What does that mean exactly, Priest, or, or like selling Facebook fan pages? Like, what does that look like? I know, like, 2009, Facebook was so different. That's what I'm I was going to say. Do you remember Jessica back in the day? Did I you, do. Did you have a Facebook sort of. Page? Is that when you, yeah. Do you want to describe it a little bit for me? Yeah, I'm, like, no, I'm, I can. I'm curious how much, how many people in your audience are shaking their heads going, I remember those days, yeah. but that was back in the days where you could like have apps on your Facebook page mm. to like collect email addresses or there are little widgets you could build into it. We essentially help people build those applications to get leads from Facebook. I do remember that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And so you were trying, you were basically selling this before you even had a way to, to do it. That's Jessica. I am maybe the laziest person you'll ever meet. <laughs> so there was zero chance I was going to teach myself how to code unless I knew I could sell the thing I was mm. coding first. And a lot of people hear me say that and go, "Oh well, well, Nathan, that's not that's not ethical. You can't pre-sell." Well, I would challenge you and say, "Well, listen. You know what's even worse is spending a year mm. of your life and maybe tens of thousands of dollars teaching yourself how to code via courses and books, mm. and then trying to sell it and not being able to sell it. That's more of a travesty." Yeah. So what I did is the communication I used when I was pre-selling, I said, hey guys, listen, Carrie Wilkerson, the Barefoot Executive, was one of my first kind of customers. I said, Carrie, listen, um, I need six months to deliver the product. You've got to pay basically a thousand bucks now for, the, for, the, for me to you know, get going mm-hmm. on it. And at the end, if you're not happy for any reason, I'll refund you. Yeah. And so yeah. what happened was it took me about two months to drive those pre-sales. And then once I had those, I then spent the other four months actually coding and delivering. But I could have, if I didn't pre-sell enough, I could have just mm-hmm. returned everyone's money, no problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. I feel like, yeah, some people are kind of conflicted with, should I learn this skill or get the skill before I kind of offer this service or product? And it's like, in, in my experience, I kind of did, uh, no, I, I guess I, it's tricky. Like my, my own business is a, a bit different just because I started as a content creator. So I was building my audience before ever money, making real money off of them. And were then you, were or- you doing that while you were still full-time at a company? I was. Yeah. So I did it on the side. Cause for me, I mean, I work in personal finance, so I'm all about like, I don't want to get into debt. I don't want to invest more money than I can afford. So I was very strategic in how I spent my money, my money. But when it comes to kind of offering like selling or, or earning money or, or whatever before you have that skill. That's kind of what I did because I call myself a, a personal finance expert. However, uh, I, I'm i not a CFP. I was actually studying to get a designation called the AFCC while I was calling myself a personal finance expert. So I was kind of trying to do, you know, kind of sort of like what you did. Uh, and for me, it did kind of work because if you do wait, if I waited, you know, several years to get this designation before starting this business as a personal finance expert, well, you know, I, that's two years kind of gone. So it's like try yeah. to do both at the same time. So it's, it's, it might be the best strategy. It's it, a lot it, of work, it, though. <laughs> it, it is tricky, though, right? So like, yeah. let me ask you a question, if you don't mind me yeah. being personal here for a second. How much, how much were you making in your full-time job? Yeah, um, about like 60K a year. And at what point did you say it's worth giving that up because my side hustle is doing X amount per month? Um. For me, it was after I did, uh, it was in 2016, I earned about 30K on my side hustle for that year uh, yeah. in my side hustle. So I'm like, okay, if I were to dedicate you know, full-time hours to this, I'll be able to match my salary, I believe. And See? I was able to do Smart. that. So that was that was what I did. But I, a lot of people, and I always kind of tell people this too, it's like I, I'm all about like the side hustle and just earning as much money as you can because in today's day, and you know, I graduated in 2009, so I was like those seniors with a degree being like, crap. 
crap, there's no jobs. It's you've got to kind of protect yourself and do what you need to do to earn money. Cause you know, uh, even if you do find a job, you're probably not going to be paid as much as you expect and things are expensive and all this kind of stuff. So for no, me, I was, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the interesting like thing that I see, cause I'm, I'm my own podcast where I interview CEOs mm. and a lot of them will go through the story, which is like, they have a full-time job, their side hustle starts making them a couple grand, but they, they don't know when to actually yeah. cut the safety net of the full-time job. So it's interesting to hear you cut the safety net when you were making about 50% of your of your income via mm-hmm. your side hustle and it matched about 50% of your full-time salary. Is that when you said, okay, I'm quitting and I'm going all in. Yeah. And also like on top of that, I made sure I had basically uh, a really big emergency fund. So I had about $30,000 in cash in a savings account. So I'm like, if things go really left, I can afford to pay all of my bills for at least one year. Like if I really don't spend that much money on like anything besides the necessities. So for me, those were my safeguards. I'm like, I know I can earn money because I'm earning money and I have cash in the bank to, you know, keep me afloat if for some reason I don't earn a dollar in a year. And then gives me time to find another job. See, this, this is interesting to me because, you know, I'm sure you've read the books that have come out recently, which are Mm -hmm. things like, you know, the one thing or like, you know, focus on, you know, essentialism, right? They're like, do one thing. And to me, Mm. it just doesn't make sense. Remember, I was in architecture, so I worked with Mm. engineers. And, you know, engineers, when they're building a bridge, there's something, you know, they never want a single point of failure, right? Mm -hmm. So like if the wind one day hits 100 miles per hour at this bridge, they've got to have like seven points of failure. So if one thing breaks, there's six other things to catch them. So it's always interesting to me when people give advice, which is only do one thing, focus Mm -hmm. on one thing. That just, it's just, in my opinion, it's really bad advice. And it's why my mm-hmm. first rule in terms of building wealth is do not focus on one skill. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you know, you can have your side hustle, you can have 100%. a full job, you know, you've got to have multiple points of failure. Yeah, no, I, I really like that part of your book because that's 100%. I, I feel like a lot of books out there are all about just like, you know, focus and just do this one thing and da, da, da. And it's like, to be fair, there, there are some good things to gain from that because there's some, in terms of multitasking, you can do it right, you can do it wrong. But for me, the only way that I feel safe being self-employed is because I have about like nine different streams of income. So if something dries up, I can kind of tap another thing to be like, okay, let's focus on this. So I'm never relying on one way to earn money. For me, that's not security. And, and I feel like almost more secure and earning my own, you know, living than I was in my full-time job because I happen in companies that have folded and that's yeah. not a fun place to be. So it's always good to have lots of different things and have lots of different skills. So it's like, I have a lot of different skills that I could tap into if I need to, something dries up and I need to, you know, I need to pay my mortgage. I, I can tap into that and like, okay, let's focus on this. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, when, when I, you know, I do a little bit of pattern recognition. So, so my podcast, it's called the top entrepreneurs. Mm. We just passed 3000 people that I've interviewed and one wow. of the patterns wow. that you see. That's a lot of people. <laughs> I know, no, it's, we, we, it's a whole system. I actually, I put it in the book in terms of how I do the system and, and drive sponsor revenue and it does oh, really yes. well. But my point in bringing that up is a lot of these, a lot of these CEOs, when you look at like kind of who's part of the new rich and I would say new mm. rich these days is kind of you know, maybe more than $5 million made on your side hustle over the span of maybe five years, mm. almost all of them. And I say this, success is really going to the multitaskers, mm. uh, 100%. When you look at the new, who makes up the new rich, you know, 80, 90% of it, it they're multitaskers, mm-hmm. uh, not focus on one thing where there's a mm-hmm. single point of failure. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, what do you say? Because I, I know like you're like, let's not focus on this one skill, multitasking. Does that also just mean gaining a lot of different skill sets? Because I feel like there's the old way of thinking where it's like to be successful, you're good at that one thing and then people want to hire you or or give you money because you're really, you're that expert in that one thing. But is it, for me, what I see is like, if you want to be, especially an entrepreneur in this day, you do need to know a lot of different things. Like you kind of do need to know basic coding. You do need to know marketing and Facebook ads. You need to know all these different things. And some people I think have a hard time wrapping their head around. They're like, no, I just want to sell I want to be a clothing designer and sell that online. I don't want to waste my time on that. Like, what do you feel like? Should people focus on gaining those kind of at least basic skills or should they just outsource? Most large, in my opinion, money-making opportunities does not come from specialization, but what it comes from is pattern recognition across many different fields. Mm -hmm. So the money over the next decade or two decades is going to go to the people that have the most um, surface level exposure to the most amount of things mm. where they can then kind of pattern intercept across many different things. And, um, and, and so that's what I believe. Yeah. I also, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I also do is, you know, it's, you know, if someone has a, if, is listening right now and they want to launch a side hustle and you're, and they're like, man, I can't, I can't quit my corporate cause I need to build a website yeah. first. Yeah. And you go, well, I, to do a website, I need to hire a developer. I need to, I need to learn how to code my WordPress site. Mm. What's way more powerful, in my opinion, is to be able and understand how to motivate specialists. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, you need to know enough about how to build a WordPress site where you can hire or, or learn how to or, or know if you're hiring somebody yeah. good off Fiverr to code it. But you don't you don't want to do the weaker thing, which mm-hmm. is you actually are really bad at managing people and convince people to work for you, where you say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to learn how to code myself. That mm-hmm. is so, in my opinion, mm-hmm. dangerous, because then you're going down a rabbit hole where you're trying to specialize, and you're never going to be the best in the world at that thing. Right, 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 right. So like basically having those kind of surface level things, so you know, if you do want to hire out, you can tell whether they're doing a good job, or you know how to hire them. I I, I believe that. I think that's, yeah, smart. Though to be fair, I totally learned how to code. <laughs> not, not, I, not, I'm not like an expert coder or whatever, but I always kind of build my own website. But to be fair, the reason I didn't just learn that skill just for the heck of it, I used to work in marketing and digital marketing. So I kind of learned that during my day job. So it was kind of natural for me to be like, okay, let's just learn how to build my own WordPress site. Yeah. Well, and there's different degrees of like yeah. learning how to code. I mean, I know people that have used the fact that they haven't launched their own website for like as an excuse to not like going all in on their side for like three or four years, oh, right? Yeah. Because they haven't learned how to code, right? I mean, it's just it's just an excuse, right? So, so I mean, you probably did it differently. You probably use like a drag and drop editor. You did yep, a little I bit did. of coding, some CSS here and there, some HTML, but you're not doing like backend Ruby development and SQL. No, no, no. Oh yeah, no, no. I like know the surface level. I use like that Visual Composer plugin to kind of move exactly. things around. And when there's something specialized, I do outsource to a developer to do these kind of tweaks. But then again, like there's there's so many new options too. It's like, I, I'm a big fan of WordPress because I've used that for years now, but now there's like, you know, Wix and Squarespace or whatever that there's literally tons. any anyone can learn how to make their own website in like a couple of minutes. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. So anyways, that's why I yeah. think that first yeah. one is really important is uh, again, you, you don't want to focus on one thing. I certainly didn't. No, definitely. And so your kind of second thing that you talk a lot about in the book, which I thought was interesting is um, how, you know, the kind of advice was be unique. That's the only way that you'll stand out. And when we think of kind of successes out there, it's like, oh, yeah, they developed this thing that didn't exist. But you're saying that may not necessarily be the route to go. It's about like kind of copying the competitors, but make improving what they've developed already. Is that kind of 
what you mean? That's right. And by the way, I am not like a Harvard Yeah, don't P- steal. Well, <laughs> no, well, yeah, of course. But like, I, what I was going to say is I'm not like a Harvard PhD yeah. that has run like in-depth theoretical studies on this. Mm. The book is built around, there's essentially these four rules. And then there's yeah. 36 stories with screenshots of how I actually use them mm. between 19 and how old I am today, which is 28. Mm-hmm. And so this whole idea of copying, he, here's what I mean. When I launched my first company, Heyo, in my dorm room at 19, the reason I launched it and when it is because I saw somebody else doing drag and drop Facebook fan pages. So mm-hmm. basically Weebly or Wix or Squarespace for Facebook. And so when I, you know, usually it's very difficult for a guy like me, a business guy, to put together a spec or yeah. a wireframe to hand to developers to build. It's much easier to just link your development team to a site and say, build that exact same version. Mm. And once they build that, you then add your own twists. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. So, hey, yo, that company grew, you know, in my dorm room from nothing to about $40,000 a month in sales, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically copying competitors and then adding my own twist. And ultimately, you know, you see in the book, there's a screenshot on page 164 where I'm turning down a $6.5 million acquisition offer of a company that wanted to buy the whole thing, mm. right? And we were only three or four months, uh, three or four years old. So I just see what a lot of people do is they go, like, my idea is so unique. I want, mm. you know, I can't tell you what it is unless you sign an NDA, mm. right? Uh, like, like, let me, let me do something unique. But ultimately, every major invention is just copying a competitor and then out executing Netflix, for example. Yeah. Right? They started, and you remember those little, the red things that came in the mail with yep. CDs in them? Yep. Right. Okay, they're, they're copying basically AOL strategy. When AOL, you know, they put the um, CD-ROMs in a ton of magazines and stuff and shipped them out to get to get people on AOL and AIM and using their their internet yeah. connection. Yeah. Then Netflix added their own twist, which was let's bring it online. Yeah. Right. Same thing with iPhone. Right. Mm-hmm. Like like internet browsing was not new. Right. Mm-hmm. And making phone calls was not new. So mm-hmm. Steve took something that was familiar to everybody, those two components, and combined them. Two yep. patterns and combine them. That's where you generate wealth, but you have to give yourself permission to copy. Otherwise, you'll you'll never get there. You'll focus on some brand new, unique thing that has no market. A hundred percent. And I think that's a, a again a big excuse lots of people use is like they think that they need to create something that's never been created before. But as you mentioned, it's like almost everything's been created. Um, all the kind of new inventions or new apps or or whatever are really just like oh, it's a kind of a better version or you know something that exists but with a different twist. So it's really about focusing focusing on uh, not getting bogged down in this idea that you have to reinvent the wheel basically. Cause it's just, it's, it, you'll take so much, you'll waste so much time. And I agree. Like when I was trying to figure out like, what is going to be my business? I didn't just, you know, figure out like, what is no one else doing? And I could do that. It's like, no, I'm going to see what other people are doing that are successful and do my own take on it. Cause it, you do really have to be careful in terms of, you still have to be unique and like true to yourself and offer something that is a bit different. You don't want to look like a copycat so to speak. Well, most people are scared of looking like a copycat. That's what yeah. they tell themselves in their head. Yeah. But like ultimately, what's the difference between Google Drive and Dropbox? They're both storage. Yeah. yeah. Like they just, maybe they have different colors. Yeah. Like that's actually the point I'm trying to make, which mm-hmm. is like you telling yourself and you being fearful that the world is going to judge you as a copycat is actually usually what's holding you back mm-hmm. from going on that thing where you see something that you like, you say, I want to copy that and add this one twist. Like, like that's the key. So it is a balancing act, but yeah. I mean, look, I give people on page 27, a bunch of ideas of how to go find things that they could go replicate. For example, a way to go to Fiverr and see what's already selling, mm-hmm. like consult the thing that people are doing. And then basically how to replicate that same product yourself. Um, but there's a ton of, I mean, there are literally dozens of ways to do this that I outline in chapter two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And uh, I want to talk about your third uh, kind of rule, which is 
it's not a good idea to focus on one goal, but you kind of mentioned this um, as we've been talking about creating a system to get uh, a lot of different outcomes. You want to kind of talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, 100%. Look, there was <clears throat> there was no moment where I was more excited than when I was in my dorm room in 2010. Uh, this is on page 33. I, there's a screenshot. It says it's from PayPal and email. Thank mm. you for your order. Um, and it was basically a $700 sale I made to somebody. And that was my first custom fan page sold. Mm. And what I, what I was doing in that is I was essentially selling these one-off things and coding them myself. And I realized very quickly, instead of getting alert and you know seduced into the one, one $700 payment, building a system where people could drag and drop their own things together themselves without me having to do the work myself was actually going to scale way faster. Mm. And, you know, I could charge 30 to 300 bucks a month for that. And that's what I did. So the point here is a lot of people, you know, when they think about what they want to do, they set like a singular goal, right? They, they identify the, the goose, the golden goose egg they want, right. whether that's a vacation or mm. at Michael Kors, whatever, right? Yeah. What's way more powerful is to say, how can I build a system that generates a Tom Ford suit, right? Or a, or a, What's a big woman's fashion brand? Um, mm. uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> Bad with uh, fashion. <laughs> I'm trying to think like what's a big women's fashion brand? There, okay, there's t- like a like a Dior dress. Yeah, I don't sure. know. Dior dresses company. I have no idea. But my point is like uh, um, people are seduced, and ev- there are trillions of dollars that go into advertisements that try and convince you to go after the golden goose egg. But the people that build wealth again build the system, the, the golden goose, and they keep making sure the golden goose gets fed properly, watered properly, because then the golden eggs will always come. Hmm. So what does a system like that look like exactly? Great example. Look, my podcast is a great example yeah. of this. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you why. Like, It is now a system that pumps out one episode every day. We make about $7,000 per episode mm-hmm. right? because of our sponsor fees. Uh, last year, we did over $2.1 million in sponsor fees from that. And wow. it basically just goes automatically because there's a system built for recording the episode, post-production, publishing, marketing after it goes live. And so the golden goose every day is another $7,000 check. Mm-hmm. I could then choose to spend that on really whatever I want to spend it on. So that's an example of how I use that system kind of in, in, in my own life. And my all-in cost operate that system is about $29 per episode. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So you're really, it sounds like you're really into the whole, a, a little bit of like the Tim Ferriss thing, like not working hard, working smart and, uh, creating systems. So you like, it's all about that passive income not so much trading so much of your time for that money, but creating systems. So you don't have to spend so, so much time, but still kind of get that revenue. It is. But just, I imagine your audience is probably a little like me. They're a little bit crazy, right? So you're <laughs> never actually going to be able to have a four hour work week because you're always gonna have other ideas, right? So like, I think that's a bit of a false sale, but I mean, I, I work like a dog. I sleep 10 hours every night though, which is great. Mm. But every, every moment of my day is basically I'm building a layer cake. I'm adding systems on top of my other systems to keep driving more golden eggs and making the goose healthier. Mm. Well, one question that kind of pops in my mind, because we've talked a lot about, you know, doing a couple things to grow a, a business, to be successful, to make money, but is the driving force behind all of this just to gain wealth or like what is kind of like for you at least the big driving force behind all of this hard work? Cause it can't just be money. Cause money's just a tool. Yeah, totally. Look, I mean the podcast for me, I launched because it, I realized it was going to be a quick way to get meetings with anyone I wanted. Mm. Right. And we've now done 3000 of them. We're, we're booked all the way through the end of 2021. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I went all in on that, but, but I will tell you like, I'm young. Like I'm, I'm not mature enough yet to have like the whole philanthropic, mm. like charity, like, what's my bigger life purpose. I do not have any of that figured out, but I'm really competitive. 
right? And I love systems and I love board games in real life. Mm-hmm. And the way I view business are essentially, is essentially like Settles of Catan or Monopoly or Risk, but in real life. You're mm-hmm. understanding the rule book. You're then playing the game and you're breaking or adding rules like where you think you can push the limits, right? To drive value. And, um, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, so, you know, part of me doing all this is I'm learning these lessons like I put in the book and now I'm trying to help other entrepreneurs essentially break these rules and do the same thing. And, and the reason that's important is, Jessica, I don't know. Do, do, do you follow politics at all, like internationally? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like we won't get political, but generally speaking in a dictator, if you look at a country that's run by a dictator, mm. once they're elected, once they climb the ladder to be elected, they make that ladder as complex as possible to ensure no one else can take that same path to the top. Mm. Right. And so in China, that might look like, you know, censorship. Yeah. Right. In other regimes, it might look like killing journalists, Mm -hmm. right. Or changing policies or changing term limits. And what's happened is these people that have created incredible wealth. Let's talk about the taxi medallion holders, maybe in New York city. Once they locked up that system and they controlled, they monopolized that industry, they added all kinds of regulation on that ladder to make sure no one like an Uber could come up really fast. Now, mm-hmm. Uber's hitting the hell out of them. But my point is people that are wealthy have essentially convinced us, you, me, your yeah. audience, that they've got to follow these four rules. And I've just realized, actually, no, they're just complicating the ladder so that we can't all get wealthy with them. Right? Right. They want to protect their wealth. And so you've got to break these four rules I put in this book really to gain that wealth. And I, and I tell that story through how I've done it over the last 10 years. Mm, okay. That's an interesting way to, yeah, I've never really thought about it that way. I mean, to, to be fair, I think also like coming from like lower middle class, you know, uh, upbringing, I always kind of had the idea that to get to that level of wealth, you have to start with wealth. And I think that's the narrative that was perpetuated for a number of years. And it's only, I feel like since the internet boom, that that story has been changing and, and lots of people, you know, like yourself have been able to create something out of nothing, which is very inspiring. But do you feel like in order to kind of, cause there's lots of different, different levels of success. We all have different goals. Like some people, I would love to have $10 million or some people were like, actually, I'd be so happy if I just made a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'd be so thrilled. Do you feel that no matter what though, to kind of follow lots of the, um, you know, advice you have in your book that you need to have this, like, it sounds like you specifically are passionate about entrepreneurship as, as just its own thing. What if someone's just passionate about one kind of topic or industry? Will that like, like, do you feel like you have to have this kind of specific entrepreneurship drive to succeed the way you kind of talk about in your book? I'm not sure I understand the question as compared to what? Sure. Um, well, just like, for instance, I'm not really interested in creating a business just to build wealth. Uh, I'm very passionate about the topic of personal finance. And the reason I'm in this business is because I want to help people with money. That's it. Other, If I couldn't do this, I'd just be working in a normal job. So do you feel like, you know, if someone's passionate about one thing, they could still be successful following some of your rules? Or do you feel like you need to to reach this, this level of success that you have, you know, a millionaire and all that kind of stuff? You have to love the process of like building businesses, hiring people, and then maybe selling them and starting anew. Does that make sense? Well, I, I think the, the things that I put in the book are, are patterns that are applicable to whether someone just wants a side hustle at five grand right. a month or wants to go sell their business for a billion dollars. Mm. I mean, it, these patterns are lifelong. Um, I mean, they work, they work over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've been been done for decades. So you and I are different in that. Look, my thing is I understand money does create freedom. 
Mm-hmm. And so I want more, I always am going to want more and more freedom. And then mm-hmm. once I have my own freedom, I want more money to help get other people get freedom. Right. Okay. Right? Like, so like, that's how I think about it. Now, this book is not for, it's, it is not a book that actually breaks down specific industries, right. like how to be a consultant. It, these are all, these are rules that would apply to someone listening right now that might maybe wants to launch their own Shopify shop. Right. Maybe they want to uh, be, do consulting work and they want to make, they want to get their retainers up from a grand a month up to three grand per month. There's email scripts that I used to do that early mm-hmm. on in my career. Um, there's, there's scripts in here about, you know, how I email ahead to uh, a five-star hotel resorts with only 5,000 Instagram. And I only have 5,000 Instagram followers and how I got them to give me free hotel stays. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, how do you live like a king or queen without owning a thing? I mean, so these strategies are all in there specifically to help people create freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. I was just more just like thinking like a lot of the people that are writing kind of about, you know, how to, you know, be a millionaire like me, a lot of them, um, are, are very similar and just like their outlook on like, they love building businesses and making money. But I'm like, I wonder what, what about like kind of folks that are like, I just want to do better than where I am now. Is that a possibility? Do I have to, you know, go, you know, just hustle like crazy um, in order to kind of reach that specific goal? Look, I, I, so I am not Gary Vee. If you look at a picture of him, if you look at a picture of him from 10 years ago compared to today, it looks like the same pictures when people compare presidents from day one in office to when yeah. they leave. Yeah. I mean, he can preach hustle all day long, but he is making himself totally sick and it mm. doesn't look healthy to me. So no, mm. like I will never preach the whole hustle, like kill yourself, don't right. say thing. I will never preach the storyline, which is look, I'm rich. Be like me. Yeah, you can do do it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Although I do put my tax returns on page six so people know I'm not just fibbing out this whole thing. They can Mm -hmm. actually see the tax return and the results. (laughs) But what I do want people to say is, okay, Nathan used these systems to get these outputs. Mm -hmm. I can copy these systems to get the outputs I want. That's Mm -hmm. really what I'm trying to get in the book. Yeah. Okay. That's. And I'll tell you why, by the way. Yeah. you, You probably see this all the time in your industry. No one can do exactly what I've done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, impo- it's you, I can't put it in a, I mean, timing, my personality product, I, Jessica, I have a great comb over. I mean, this thing sells like you wouldn't believe, yeah. <laughs> but no one can be exactly me. So I would never sell, use my system to get exactly, you know, to do exactly what I've done, mm-hmm. but you can still take and get an unfair advantage from the systems and the things that I've done. So that's a really great question. Cause what I found too, is you'll, you know, read a bunch of books or, or, you know, read a bunch of articles, try to gather as much information from other successful people as possible as kind of a template. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try this out. At what point, like, how do you recognize when to do it your own way? You know, and I'm sure this is how you've probably developed some of your own, um, kind of uh, rules on how to get successful, but like, how do you know when to take someone else's advice and when to just like, you know, be true to what you think in your gut? Maybe this, this is the path, even though I feel like no one else is going this path, if that makes sense. Well, the the people that are having the most success today are the ones that test the fastest. Mm -hmm. You know, Malcolm Gladwell put in a great book about 10,000 hours doing something to become an expert. I would Mm -hmm. argue that today to build wealth, it's whoever can get to 10,000 tests the fastest, which is why companies like Amazon, that literally are running a billion tests a month on their UI or Facebook. They've got a billion different A-B tests running every day, right? That's why they're so... They know what works and they test it. So the trick for your audience is, how do you increase your testing velocity? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. right? How do you make sure the nights and weekends that you're working on your side hustle when you're not doing your full-time thing, how do you make sure you're testing as many things as possible and then quickly keeping the winners and killing the losers? And that velocity, training your, your, your brain muscle to understand that velocity is critical. 
Yeah. So this kind of leads me to this question. How do you know when to, if you're like pursuing this one particular business idea, how do you know when to keep on going, you know, with trial and error or when to quit and call it a loss and just move on? Well, look, does it make you feel good? Right. So yeah. there's a lot of people where like they're happy, you know, not being rich, not being poor, but they're making a hundred grand a year and that's fine. That makes them happy. Great. Keep doing it. There's other people that want wealth. There's mm-hmm. other people that don't want to make really money at all. They want to do other things that make them happy. So like, Mm -hmm. that's the first, that's the first barometer, but you have, I I can't define for every industry and every person Mm -hmm. what success looks like. You you may have to define that. Right. And Mm -hmm. then the trick is though, that you do the exercise of actually defining that at the start and giving yourself and saying, I will quit if this thing doesn't happen by this date. I think that's And then actually (laughs) actually doing it and then actually stopping if that doesn't happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit more about before you kind of like, you know, start working towards whatever your goal is, what are some things that people should kind of write down or think about or plan out before kind of taking action? I really like that advice on just like defining what success means to you. So you always have that to refer back to. Yeah. So the question is, the, the question is what, yeah. what should they plan beforehand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's hard for me to answer that question. Yeah. I mean, the way I decide what kinds of things to go after is I look at kind of what's working and I try and go opposite. Like for example, mm-hmm. a bunch of magazine businesses right now are going out of business, mm-hmm. right? You know, fortune, uh, uh, um, time, uh, magazine, fortune magazine, money magazine, like just sold. There's a bunch of magazines going out of business. Well, I just launched a magazine. Mm. Right? And the reason I did that is cause it's a, it's a, it's a counter storyline to the storyline that everyone's going out of business and press will pick up a counter storyline every time. Mm. So the value of that press is actually what is making my magazine successful. Now 10,000 people read the magazine every month and they pay seven bucks a month for it. So it's a nice little side revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at, you know, when I'm planning on what to go into next, I look at, are there things that I believe in that are counter to the average, mm-hmm. which is important by the way, because the average American is worth about negative $4,000. So mm-hmm. you know, you're onto something. If all your average friends are telling you that's a crappy idea, right? <laughs> if you listen to them, you'd be worth about negative $4,000, right? So you have to do counter things. And then the second thing is like, is it in a space that makes me happy? Mm-hmm. And three, is it a system that I'll enjoy building? Mm-hmm. Like, is, is that, a, is that a board game I'll enjoy inventing? Mm-hmm. Right? And if all those things are true, then I go. Yeah, no. And that, I mean, that's kind of your, your last uh, rule is don't appeal to the masses, which I think is a really important thing to think because that, I feel like that idea of appealing to the masses to, you know, uh, get everyone involved so you can make the most profit is, it's not accurate anymore. Like the, that system just does not work. It's all about, and now do you mean by that, like focus on a niche or just be very conscious of who your audience is? So you're always like being very focused. Yeah. So that the, the rule four here is, like don't go mine the gold in California, but it's like sell the pickaxes to the gold miners. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that got the wealthiest off the gold mine were people that launched gene companies and they sold the genes to the miners or they launched a shovel and pickaxe company and sold the tools to the miners. So the question your audience should ask themselves today are what are, what are the prevalent trends in their industry mm-hmm. and whatever's the hottest thing. That's also where there's the most competition. So don't do that thing. Yeah. Do the thing that that trend needs to survive. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, um, let's see, meal delivery companies like Blue yep. Apron, right? Or Uber Eats. Yeah. They all need to figure out, right? Like last mile delivery. So there's a company called OnFleet that's handling that. They're growing very fast. They don't do meal delivery, but they support a hot trend. Mm-hmm. And so your audience wants to try and identify that pattern. You want to pick something that mm-hmm. you can sell that is supporting a hot trend, not the hot trend itself, because mm-hmm. that's where the most competition is. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, that's really smart and a, a different way to look at it too. I like that. 
Yeah. So that's my, that's my thought process there. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of your, I know I've like given you a lot of questions and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. I had fun. Did you have fun? I I have. Oh, I always have fun, especially when people know what they're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. I, you know, and, and by the way, you know, you make me look, you know, so nice and so good because, you know, we're an author with Random House and I'm a first time author and I failed English. And so you only asked me good questions. You failed English? What? Oh my gosh. I will tell you, in, and I'll tell you like very, very quickly, right? Yeah. So I forget, I think it's, I don't know what page it's on, but I think it's on page like 200-ish or somewhere in there. There's a screenshot of a acquisition offer I had for Hale when I was 23 and it was for six and a half million bucks. Yeah. And I, that day that I turned that down was the same day I read that Mark Zuckerberg turned down a billion from Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, if he can turn down a billion, I can turn down 6.5 million, which by the way, at 23, 24, would have changed yeah. my life. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It was the stupidest decision I ever made to turn down that offer. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. I mean, your audience is going to read this part of the book and they're going to go, Nathan Ugh. is an idiot. It's page 243, actually. And you yeah, see okay. it says, the purchase price will be up to $6.5 million. It will be paid in the following manner, blah, blah. I turn it down. And mm-hmm. then I sell for a little bit less many, many years later. So my point is, like, the book is meant to – I literally take screenshots from my email, from mm-hmm. my PayPal and Stripe accounts, from my tax returns, like, from, like, my email psychological triggers to get, like, you know, very wealthy people on my show. Like, it's pretty vulnerable. It's open. I don't want to pitch, like, hey, come be a millionaire like me. Yeah. I'm not pitching. Everyone can do this. What I'm yeah. saying is if you read this, the four rules and the 36 stories, you will definitely pick up nuggets that give you an unfair advantage in building your own side hustle. Mm-hmm. And that's a win in my book. So it's, if we read your book, you're going to learn something different than lots of the other books on the market because you have a you have a very personal and uh, different experience than other people. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So so now that you know all this, what do you think about the title? Do we do a good job titling it or would you title it something different? How to be a capitalist without any capital. I like it, but I hate the word capitalist because there's a lot of negative <laughs> ca- connotations with it, I'll tell you. But I think people will pick it up because of your lovely, lovely mug and that suit. <laughs> it's a, it is, I will tell you, it's a good, I have a little bit of an ego, but it is a good looking picture and you were right. I mean, <laughs> We were, Jessica, we were so on the offense of, of using the word capitalist because yeah. of all the negative connotations. I know. But, is um, that terrible? Yeah. It's like, yeah, people like, ooh, cringe at yeah. it. But uh, yeah, it I is, think it is. it's an interesting, uh, interesting idea. Interesting book. I, I think it's really a, a really great read. I like it, especially too, because you're younger. And so you can, I uh, really relate to a lot of millennials uh, and you just have a very different perspective. And I think that's important because honestly, a lot of the people that are like those big time entrepreneurs with these kind of books, doing those speaking gigs are a bit older and they may not quite understand the experience that we all had during the 2009 recession. You know what I mean? Well, not only are they older, but they're really polished. They know the message and they're going to give the message no matter, no matter what year it is. I mean, one thing about this book that my editors hated this is not a timeless book. Mm. This is not something you can buy in 10 years and get value from. The tactics I put in here, you've got to, you've got to read it and hopefully be one of the first people to read it and use the tactics today because by nature, because of how, you know, because mm. of how much, I mean, they made me so much, people will come in and copy them and then they won't be valuable anymore. So right. this is not a timely book. It's an urgent book. People have to do it and ex- execute immediately. And editors hated that, but I think it's important. It's very raw that way. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, before I I'll let you go, Nathan, where can people find more information about you and grab a copy of your book? Yeah, the best place to do it is um, you can just look up my name on, on Amazon. It's called How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. I also have my own podcast called The Top Podcast. Um, mm-hmm. You can just Google it and it'll be the, the top result. It's a nice little orange logo. Or they can also, uh, if they want to connect with me directly, I'm on Twitter um, and Facebook. And uh, we'll have a CNBC show actually launching in the spring. So you'll be able to chat with me via uh, CNBC's website as well. Amazing. Congrats on all your success. That's amazing. 
well, we'll, we'll have fun. Just I need, maybe I'll need to hire you to come in and be my, my CFO, huh? Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we well, have a lot of fun, I think. We do. Yeah, for sure. We would. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining me. It was, it was so great chatting with you. Jessica, thanks so much. And that was episode 186 of the Mo Money Podcast. Make sure to uh, check Nathan out uh, online and uh, grab a copy of his book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. Uh, again, he also has his own show, his own podcast called the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast. You can check out on iTunes or wherever you listen to a podcast. Um, and of course, check out the show notes for this episode where I write a bunch of, you know, just kind of, if you were like, what was that episode about? What were the most important things about that episode? Guess what? I put that all in the show notes. Go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 186 for all of that good stuff. I'm still also uh, doing a bunch of other exciting things. Usually, well, no, usually. I always list them in the show notes, so that's why you always want to sh- uh, check out my website for all that info. Uh, but I'm going to share with you them now. Um, but uh, before I get to that, just a few words I want to share about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by Sonnet Insurance. It can be pretty time-consuming collecting insurance quotes to compare prices. What's great about Sonnet is that you can do it entirely online and get a quote in just minutes. Even better, if you decide to buy Sonnet insurance, you can do that online too. It's so easy to use and understand, it really makes insurance simple. You can even see your quote update in real time if you add additional coverage or change your deductible. So you can confidently know what's in your policy and how the cost compares to competitors. Need to see it to believe it? Try it out yourself by visiting sonnet.ca. Once again, that's sonnet.ca. Okay, so uh, I'm still running uh, a couple contests, and I thought it would be kind of easy-peasy if I just put them on one page instead of you going to a bunch of different pages. So I'm giving away a ton of books, including Nathan's book, actually. Surprise! So uh, if you've been listening to this season of the show since it's uh, uh, I, I launched uh, the beginning of February, uh, you know I've interviewed a ton of uh, authors already and I'm giving away their books. So includes, let me see if I remember them, uh, Melissa Leong's book, uh, Happy Go Money, uh, Shannon Lee Simmons' book, uh, living debt free. And, uh, last week, uh, I had Tanya Hester on the show. She has a book called work optional. And now I'm giving away a copy of Nathan's book, how to be a capitalist without any capital. So if you want to, uh, you know, enter to win a copy of one of these fabulous books, make sure to go to the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 2086 or, or, well, there's a couple things you can do. Or go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contests. And I'll just list them all on one page for you. Or of, of course, please uh, sign up to my email newsletter because I always list all the cool, exciting things that I'm doing in my newsletter. jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe. Do it. Why not? Um, you know, another thing you could also do, because why not, um, is I have a free resource library of a bunch of free cool things, uh, free downloads, you know, worksheets, spreadsheets, um, some past webinars and online trainings, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but speaking of online trainings and webinars, uh, I thought it was high time I did another one. And this one I'm super excited about because it is about 
investing. So uh, obviously, you hopefully know. If you don't know, that's cool. Uh, I have uh, an online investing course called Investing Foundations for Canadians. Uh, you can currently uh, sign up and roll right now on my website. Again, I'll put some info uh, in the show notes, but just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash investing foundations. But I am going to be doing a webinar all about um, some of the key things that people ask me about investing. So I actually started sourcing some questions on Instagram Instagram and uh, Twitter and uh, my Facebook group. And I wanted to know what are some of your, you know, really important questions that you just cannot find the answers to, or maybe you you just, you know, are a bit too embarrassed to ask somebody about it. So you feel comfortable asking your friend, Jessica. So I'm going to be doing a webinar. You can go to jessicamorehouse.com slash webinar to sign up. And uh, it will all be going down on Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Sign up even if you're not sure if you can 100% make it for the live webinar because I do always send out a replay link. Um, So make sure to sign up because it'll be a good one. I'm also going to be doing a live Q&A. So if you have questions that maybe I didn't answer during that particular webinar, you can ask me live. I'll try my best anyway to to ask them. Um, And it'll be a a hoot, a really good time. Another thing I want you to maybe join me uh, uh, for, with, I don't know, um, I'm going to be hosting a Twitter party on Twitter uh, in uh, cahoots with Fisco. And it, because March, I don't know if you know this, March is a fraud prevention month. And so we are going to be doing a fun Twitter party all about educating people and promoting uh, how to protect yourself against mortgage fraud. You may have not, you don't even, you may not even know that that is a thing. It's a thing. It is a real thing. It is a big, important, scary thing. And uh, I want you to know, but I also want you to have a chance to win some fun prizes. I always give away prizes at the end of my webinars. So uh, again, I'll, I'll include some info in the show notes, but uh, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash Twitter party and you'll be able to find out more information and sign up so you don't uh, forget and you'll receive reminders and all that kind of stuff. But it's going to be a ton of of fun. Okay, that is uh that is it for me for uh no, that's a lie. Oh my god. I forgot tomorrow I've got a bam bonus episode. I've got a bonus episode for you tomorrow and you're not going to want to miss it. I'm just going to keep it mystery like like that. So, I'm going to see you back here tomorrow for my special bonus episode. Have a good rest of your day. See you tomorrow. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.